Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is the Code of Conduct with the King podcast. I am your host, Jay Spencer King, and we are brought to you by the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. I am amped. I got a good show for you today. And I mean, I got a good show for you today. Almost feels like I'm in the middle of season with this episode. I got my main man, my homeboy, Bruce Exclusive himself, Mr. Bruce Nolan, joining me for the Code of Conduct today. So I'm not going to do too much talking because it's a jam-packed show. We talk about a lot. We talk about the Bills' needs on offense and defense. We talk about what we think we might do in the draft. We think about just how we value certain positions and how we don't value other positions. So, you know, I'm going to get right into it. Before I do, though, I did want to send a, a, a congratulations to Dak Prescott on finally getting his money. Um, I'm sure by now everybody has heard that yesterday uh, the Dallas Cowboys has finally extended or Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys have reached an extension or an agreement on an extension. So uh, he will be there for the foreseeable future, which is good for him. It's good for the franchise. You saw what the team looked like without him. So I'm sure they are happy to have him for the foreseeable future. Um, I'll tell you what, 75 mil guaranteed in the first year. Now, it's not the cap hit, but it's 75 mil guaranteed in the first year. That's something special. That's something special. So congratulations to him. Uh, But the reason why I wanted to bring that up, Josh is about to eat. (laughs) Josh is about to, he's about to eat. Would I tell you that, uh, He's gone further than Dak already. He's made it to the AFC Championship game. He's he's done things. Um, I know, and I know Dak has had the number one quote unquote like statistical offense. You know, not this past season, but the se- the season previously. But he still, you know, he just wasn't as dynamic as Josh. So I, I think Josh is going to get the same or a little bit more. I think he brings more to the table. I think the ceiling for Josh is definitely higher. So listen. <laughs> Our window is these next two years. We got this year. We got next year. And I'm sure Brandon Bean is smart. <laughs> so I'm sure he's going to figure out how to extend that window. But I'm saying the way the team is, is currently constructed, we have we have a small window. And that window, <laughs> we need to do it before the contract for Josh kicks in to that $46, 47000000 million a year average. Because it's going to be tough to pay everybody. And I think we're going to start to see, especially this season, with the salary cap being lessened. Uh, we're going to see this year, you can't pay everybody. And then when things like this happen, you're going to see teams lose. They're going to make some tough decisions. And the Buffalo Bills are first. You know, I, th- I think Matt Milano's on his way out. I think, you know, I think there, there are going to be some tough decisions to be made. But I think Brandon Bean is the band to make them. So, like I said, I'm not going to talk too long. I already talked too long. It's already three minutes in. Way too long. I got my man Bruce. So, about to bring him in. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, leave me some comments. Let me know how you like it. Let me know how you feel. Check it out. Me and my man Bruce know this is a Jay Spence experience. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, I have, well, you already know he's my top three. I can't I can't say number one only because I know that the other two guys that I put in my top three are listening. So I have my man, the, the my favorite podcaster out here, Mr. Bruce Exclusive himself, Bruce Nolan. How's it going today, man? Dude, it's going fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Man, anytime you already know um, that I, I look at you and your content as, if not the best, one of the best out of the Buffalo uh, market. And, and just in general, football talk, man, you're, you're second to none for me. So I wanted to get you on today because I took the initiative and actually 
did something that I don't normally do. And that's I tried to be analytical and I, I watched <laughs> each of the games and I broke down, you know, I just I, I had I had my own, you know, kind of grading system where I tried to figure out based on, you know, results, what I feel that the team needs the most heading into this offseason, going into the draft, looking at free agency. What do we need to do? So the, the three things that I'm looking at here is should we retain, should we draft or should we look into for, you know, for free agency or is it a position that might not be as, as strong of a need that I think it is. So um, to get just dive right into it, I have my four main positions that I think are of need. And in order, I have offensive line. I have cornerback, the second cornerback position, um, defensive line or defensive end, however you want to put that and then tight end is my fourth position um so before we dive into each one specifically what is your thoughts on that i have my order yeah no i have my order the exact same way you have your order in order of prioritization i have offensive line cb2 defensive line and tight end in that order so (laughs) you and i have exactly the same order for this particular i did not we did not know that before we sat down and recorded that we were going to have the exact same order but we actually identified them as the same priority together i feel smarter now i just (laughs) just so you know i I feel smarter because i have the same so well let's start off with the offensive line i know um a little bit on the chatter as far as on twitter um when i speak about the need of offensive line a lot of people might not see i know a bunch of content creators and obviously the guys who are really, really into the sport get it. But you look at the team and it really seems like we're really not losing everybody on the offensive line. It just seems like we might need to add some depth. I think that there's a couple areas that we actually need to improve. And it's not that I have anything negative to say against guys who we had on the roster this last season. I just think for the purpose of being better going forward, we need to you know, improve in a couple of areas. So, to start off, I do love Cody Ford. The first thing that I think needs to happen is that he needs to actually be given a position and and be trusted to stick with that position. Granted, people need to be healthy so he doesn't bounce around. But I think that's the first key to improving or to taking the next step forward on our offensive line. Um, what do you think about Cody? Do you think as far as, you know, does, is he a guard to you? Is he a tackle? Um, is he somebody that we need to improve upon? Or, or what are what are your thoughts there? I said when Cody Ford came out of Oklahoma that I thought he was a guard and then they put him at right tackle and I said, okay, I think I understand why they put him at right tackle. Ironically enough, from an athletic standpoint and from a scouting report standpoint, Cody Ford looked a lot like Daryl Williams. And they just saw Daryl Williams succeed at right tackle. They saw him succeed at right tackle in Carolina. I understand why they thought Cody Ford was a right tackle. I get it because they saw someone with a similar profile succeed at right tackle multiple times now with the Bills and before with the Carolina Panthers and even playing at an all-pro level. They've seen it before. So I get why they did it, but I thought he was a guard. And his first year at right tackle did not do anything to inspire any confidence in me that he was a right tackle. That's It didn't qualm my fears at all that he was actually really a guard and was playing out of position. Then, of course, they put him at left guard, and I actually thought he played as comfortably as I had seen him play at left guard versus the other positions that he had bounced around to because he played some at right guard as well. But one of my big fears about the potential losing of Daryl Williams this offseason is that people are going to look at Cody Ford as a replacement. And in that vacuum, Cody Ford will get sucked into that and will end up being the man without a true position. Like you said, again, I was on with Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot on Saturday night, very, very late. And sure enough, one of the things they asked me about in regards to possibly replacing Daryl Williams was, Hey, what about Cody Ford? Because that's a popular narrative. They asked because that's a question that's going around. And when I wrote a piece about this for Buffalo Rumblings a few weeks back, my number one thing on what the Bills should do at right tackle was leave Cody Ford the bleep alone. Like that was my number one point. That poor guy has been yanked around and he was yanked around in college too. played multiple yeah. positions in college. Just leave him at left guard. Just leave him at left guard. I think that. We are already teetering on the idea that Cody Ford might not be 
an overly successful player. We're two years into his career. He hasn't got a chance to really get his footing. If you move him around, you are accelerating the potential of his decline. And I don't want to have that happen. So leave him at left guard. I will deal with other things at right tackle. Listen, I know. Okay. The Bills have had one good season at right tackle since 2005. And it was 2020 with Daryl Williams. The last time was when Jason Peters played 10 games for them in 2005. Since then, it's been the Eric Pierce of the world and the Chantrell Hendersons of the world and the Langston Walkers of the world and so on and so forth at right tackle. So I understand there may be a panic to move Cody Ford. I would like to keep him where he is. Well, I would uh, just for the sake of consistency, like keep him there and let him let him figure it out. I think that he's smart enough to to master something. So the thing is, if you give him the time to officially or successfully master one position, then if if you get injuries down the line and I know nobody's going to be a perfect in whatever position, but I'm just saying, like, let him actually get his let him let him really get his feet wet in that position. Let him learn it. Let him know everything about the position. Let him let him succeed in it before we say, okay, we're enough enough of right guard. Let's move you to right tackle. Now let's move because, like you mentioned, people are speaking of him in the terms of is Cody Ford a bust? And I just don't think it's fair in a sense of listen. We haven't been able to see him do something like one thing enough to call him a bust. Absolutely, I agree with that. The fact of the matter is, it's. It's a little bit like the Ed Oliver argument for 2020. If Ed Oliver played out of position in 2020, and because of that, we should kind of push his clock down a year. Doesn't that also stand to reason it would apply to Cody Ford? If Cody Ford was playing out of position, he finally got to his position, now got hurt. Are we really capable of saying, hey, he's a bust? Now, I understand Ed Oliver plays more games, and we've seen potentially more flashes from Ed Oliver. However, that same argument applies. We gave Josh Allen three years and we kept saying, oh, he's a really raw prospect. And then we don't give Ed Oliver any time. We don't give Cody Ford any time. Draft picks do develop. But in order to help and hinder their development, you need to make sure that you're not putting them in bad positions and you are putting them to good positions. Otherwise, you're going to accelerate or decelerate their development. And I really think you just leave them alone. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and so, so moving on to what you mentioned about, you know, we're talking about Cody Ford and you mentioned that he has some comparables to Daryl Williams. So now we're talking about free agency. We're talking about, you know, well, what's going to happen now. We have the best right guard or right tackle play that we've had in ages now out of that position. And now the guy is possibly going to leave. Um, is that something that you see happening? He's one of the guys that I feel is, it should be at the top of the list, if not the top of the list to retain this off season. He was my number one, free agent resigning prospect man i feel smart bruce i feel smart keep going man he was absolutely number one and people kind of people kind of shuddered a little bit when i said that earlier in the offseason and even before the season was over because we were all talking about matt milano and then it felt like as the bills fan base sort of started to make peace with the idea that matt milano was not going to come back then the attention turned to daryl williams as being the number one target and now as we get closer to the start of free agency and taylor moten from the Carolina Panthers gets the franchise tag slapped on him. All of a sudden, Daryl Williams because becomes one of the top right tackles on the market. And my comfort level, I guess, in regards to the Bills potentially re-signing him, starts going down and down and down and down and down. And then all of a sudden, I start scanning the free agent wire for some player who could potentially come in and you know help us kind of balloon and platoon the position until you get somebody in here has a rookie all of a sudden my, my mind shift my mind starts to shift and i'm like okay uh i've made peace with matt milano do i really have to make peace now with trent williams not being here and now am i looking at players like ricky wagner to come in and kind of float the ship for a year and have a rookie behind him because that's kind of where my head's at because now i'm starting to have to feel like maybe i have to make peace with not bring daryl williams back and I'll level with you. This is a lot of peace I don't want to be making, Jay Spence. Yeah. I, I I did not wake up this morning wanting to make this level of peace. And unfortunately, it feels like the Bills yeah. are pushing me towards it. It, well, it feels like, you know, unfortunately, due to COVID last year and and due to, you know, the cap restrict or the cap level going down in general, um, it's going it's going to happen around the league. I, I saw an anonymous GM say it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a massacre <laughs> this week with with everything happening, with with team let, letting these guys go. Um, so, so moving on, you know, obviously Daryl Williams, I agree. We, he's, he's, to me, he's for the bills 
organization. He's top two, top guy that we need to keep. Where where else? What else do you see on that offensive line? Um, I saw one of our guys tweet out. Um, my man uh, Dion tweeted out that he wants to see Richie come back. I'm not as as strong in that camp, but I do think we need some more depth or or something else on the offensive line. What other moves can you see us making, or or what moves do you think we need to make? I as well. I'm not strong on the Richie Incognito thing. I think when I look at the free agent market for offensive linemen, the two names that stick out for me, one of the ones I already mentioned was Ricky Wagner. The other one, of course, being Zach Banner from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, The Steelers are in uh, trouble and Banner is somebody who really has a great story and is beloved by that organization, had some injury problems, Um, but he's someone who was starting to sort of come into his own before the injury happened. And I wonder if that's someone who you could potentially get a good value on at this point in his career, because that's really what free agency is about. Free agency is about obtaining value. And one of the ways you can do that is just like, you know, the stock market or any sort of investment, you try and buy low. And Zach Banner is an example of a buy low candidate. So that's something that I could potentially see. I do think that Gabe Jackson is someone the Bills should kick the tires on, especially if John Feliciano is somebody who decides that his market is better served elsewhere. I am not a huge John Feliciano fan. I'm completely fine letting him walk for the price that I think he's going to get. Track has him at $8.8 million a year, which is way too rich for mm-hmm. my taste. I, I admire John Feliciano's run blocking, and I think that he is uh, a boon in that position. But some of the tweets from John Feliciano indicate that he might think he's a center, and things like that are going to allow him to get paid and play a position that he potentially think he might be better at. Now, again, I'm not reporting anything. That's just a uh, something, an observation from some things that he's tweeted and some other things that I've seen. And when you have scenarios like that with a player who is well-liked by the organization, John Feliciano is clearly well-liked by the organization. That creates a very strange dynamic with the like incumbent Mitch Morse because there can only be one starting center on the mm-hmm. on the line. And then if you move Feliciano to center, now you didn't really solve anything. If you decide to move Feliciano to center and cut Morse, Morse, which is what some people have suggested, you're in exactly the same boat you're in now. You didn't fix anything. In fact, I would argue you're in a worse boat because I think Mitch Morse is a better player. So you still didn't fix your guard issue. So I think that there are some guards in the draft that I'd be interested in. I think Alex Leatherwood is a guard, first off, from Alabama. I think a lot of people are writing him as a tackle. I think he's a guard. I have a feeling that Alex Leatherwood is going to be the Cody Ford of this particular uh, or the Cordy Glenn of this particular draft class where there's going to be some people who think he's a tackle and some people who think he's a guard, and that might change their evaluations on him. But that's somebody who I'm interested in if – the Bills decide that they're going to let Feliciano walk and go into the draft with that being a need. Obviously, I'm a huge Tevin Jenkins guy at right tackle. If you know people like Wagner and people like Zach Banner don't end up coming on as free agents, I'm a huge Tevin Jenkins guy. I like Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. These are players that I think can fill holes, but I really don't like going into the draft with a hole as big as right tackle. We just established it's number one on the team's needs. Offensive line is number one and right tackle probably more important than guard because we have some serviceable guards who can play. We've seen Ike Bucker step forward last year and be completely serviceable. So if he had to step in at right right guard, do I think he'd be serviceable? Sure. I would prefer more talented player than serviceable for sure, but he's established he can do it. But I really don't want to go into the draft with a massive glaring right tackle hole. And that's why I feel like a player who can kind of platoon and float the boat this year in front of a rookie might be what we see. Well, so, I mean, is, is that what you, so you think we're going to go into free ag- agency and, and bring somebody in? I, yeah, I do. Is there, so I know you just mentioned a couple guys who, who would be your, your number one pick for that role. I think if you can get Ricky Wagner on a reasonable contract, I think he'd be my, he might, I think he's the better suited for that particular thing. Zach is a little bit uh, younger And I think if you were going to take a shot on someone and you didn't think you were going to pick a tackle or you wanted to pick a player in free agency that if landed on, like if he ended up hitting would mean that you wouldn't have to take a right tackle. I think Zach Banner is that player because if he lands, he's still young enough. He's in his late twenties. 
So if you land, if you hit in that free agent, like the same way you hit on Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde, if you hit on a buy low player like that, Jordan Poyer was an ultimate buy low player. He had flashed. Actually, now that I think about it, there's actually some interesting parallels between Banner and Jordan Poyer. He's not on his first team. He finally got a chance to play. And when he did, he flashed, and then he got hurt. Jordan Poyer had the most lacerated spleen from that massive hit when he was with Cleveland. And maybe there's something there that his market is kind of diminished by the fact that he was hurt. So if you wanted to pick somebody and say, okay, I would prefer that if I nail on this draft pick, I don't have to draft one. Because even if you hit, even if you hit on Ricky Wagner, he's 32. You you still have to draft somebody right, at some right. point. But if you hit on younger players like Zach Banner, then you don't have to draft somebody. So I guess I'm kind of talking myself into Banner right now, to be honest. <laughs> that's what it sounds like I'm doing. I'm talking well, myself into Banner. <laughs> I had I had to make sure you were clear. I'm like, well, which one is the pick? Well, and, and for me too, it, it's it's weird and not weird. I'm surprised to hear you say that you're okay with letting Feliciano go. Uh, the to me, the value in Feliciano was just how the team appeared to gel and play better when he returned. Now it might just have appeared to be that way, and it might not have been because of Feliciano. Um, you don't you don't see the value the same there is it's more so just the the on-field production or what what are you looking at when you're ready to let him walk i think john feliciano brings a great energy to the offensive line um i don't think great energy is worth the difference between what i think he would be worth and what i think he's going to get on the open market so i value that i value it but i don't value it 8.8 million dollars amount now, of course, okay. obviously, I'm using the spot track. I'm using the spot track um, outline for his contract. If he came in and, you know, ends up being a, a four million dollar a year player, then that's a completely different thing. You know, Quentin Spain, I was completely fine with Quentin Spain's contract because it was three years, 15 million dollars. Now, of course, they ended up cutting him a few games into that contract, yeah. but that's a whole different discussion. But, you know, if John Feliciano is a four and a half million dollar player, that's fine. You know, it's completely okay because then worst case scenario, even if he ends up backing up both guard spots and a center, I'm completely okay with that for four and a half million dollars. That's the reason why that value matters to me so much is because I don't think John Feliciano is an upper echelon guard in the league. I think he's a perfectly reasonable guard. He's fine. Mm -hmm. And I think his strength lies in run blocking in a pass happy league with a pass happy team. So I think that has a tendency to kind of diminish the value a little bit. But, you know, if John Feliciano comes in at a lower number, then he has the ability to potentially not start and still be valuable at that number. But if he signs for $8.8 million, he's either starting or he's off the team at that point. And I think you can upgrade from him as a starter. Okay. Well, no, you make perfect sense. And and you're not the first person I hear to say that they'd be okay with letting him walk. And I guess it might be my heartstrings just just being a little too attached to to Mongo because, you know, he he just has an energy that that I tend to love. But but yeah. OK, so moving on, because we could talk about the offensive line probably for hours. And it looks like we, we were on we were definitely on our way to doing that. So let's move on <laughs> to cornerback <laughs> because I do think um, in my estimation, that is the second position. And it was very close for me to the first position of importance. Um, throughout the season, I was very critical on Levi. I've been very critical on him. I am a big Levi fan. I think Levi, the reason why I was super critical on him is because I feel like he's able to perform better than he did at certain points of the season. Not because I don't think he's a great player. But we we gave up a lot of big plays this year um, with the understanding that the type of defense that the Buffalo Bills play do tend to allow, you know, some yards to be given up between the 20s. So I understand completely about the system that that the team is in. I understand. But I would like to see just a, a, a next or a, the next step up at cornerback two to go opposite of Trey White. Um, what are your thoughts on the cornerback position? You know, how the room is. Do you think Dane Jackson is that guy? I, I'm seeing a lot of guys and a lot of, um, well, not just guys, ladies too. Sorry, ladies. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, just a, a lot of chatter about our, our second cornerback already being on the roster. How do you feel about Dane? How do you feel about the direction of the room? And, and what what are your thoughts as to what we should do? Levi Wallace has proven himself to be a perfectly reasonable cornerback when asked to do the things that the Bills defense has previously asked him to do. My issue is that the defensive scheme needs to evolve. 
It needs to be more multiple, and it can't do that with Levi Wallace's CB2. So, yes, simultaneously, I acknowledge that Levi Wallace is a perfectly reasonable cover three quarter style cover corner. I get it. But the defensive scheme needs to evolve to be more multiple. It needs to be able to run more man. And you can't do that with Levi Wallace as your CB2. And that's the thing. So the argument that sometimes I'll get from people back is, hey, Levi Wallace has been perfectly fine. Well, I understand that. Levi Wallace has been perfectly fine because he's been asked to do specifically limited things that don't expose the things that Levi Wallace doesn't do well, but he's the anchor in that secondary because it's not Micah Hyde and it's not Jordan Poyer and it's not Tredavious White. He's the anchor in that secondary of that top four. And so I understand that, you know, we have Taron Johnson in this middle and that's a whole different thing to talk about. But Levi Wallace is the thing that stops you from being able to run more multiple man coverage schemes. He's the guy who does it. And that doesn't mean that he's not a perfectly reasonable player. He is, but he's that and simultaneously the thing holding you back from that because he doesn't have the foot speed change of direction and the ability to, you know, mirror receivers and play in phase and make sure he's shadowing. That's just not something that he does well for the people who say it's Dane Jackson. I would direct you to the fact that Dane Jackson is a very, very, very minimal upgrade in athleticism from Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace was an undrafted free agent. Dane Jackson was a seventh round pick and very well. The bills hadn't taken him very well. Could have been an undrafted free agent. And the thing about Dane Jackson is he has shown one of the weaknesses of Levi Wallace, which is long speed, but has helped us correct one of the other weaknesses of Levi Wallace, which is aggressiveness, aggressive, I said aggressiveness. That's nice. Aggressiveness at the catch point. We we can create that one. We're we're, going to do it, right? It's a Bruceism. Put it on a shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Aggressiveness right here. So Levi Wallace has two significant flaws that hurt him in man coverage. The first is just overall movement athleticism. And the second one is skills at the catch point. And Dane Jackson has shown aggressiveness at the catch point. But we knew that about him already. We saw that in college. A lot of people thought he was a nickel because of how aggressive he was in college. So I completely recognize that. I understand that entirely. However, I don't think you can look to Dane Jackson as a solution because he doesn't fix the main problem. The main problem is you don't have the athletes at corner. And so I've been banging the table, pounding the table for the Bills to draft athletes at the corner position so that they have the horses necessary to be able to be more multiple on defense and be able to mix it up because the thing holding you back is not Micah Hyde. It's not Jordan Poyer. It's not Tredavious White. You don't have athletes at the nickel coverage spot and you don't have athletes at the CB2 spot and give me really good athletes all over the secondary and you can run enough things to make the opposing quarterback hold the ball longer, which will help the pass rush get there. The average time to sack in the NFL is always, every single year, it is greater than the average time to throw. Every single year, the average time to sack is greater than the average time to throw, which means on average, quarterbacks are sacked when they hold the ball longer. How do you get them to hold the ball longer? You are able to mix up the coverages in the secondary with good athletes who can do multiple things. And we already have great safeties who can disguise their coverages. This is the first time I've had a chance to record with the Buffalo Rumblings pod since Micah Hyde signed his extension. Can we just get it? Can we get a hell yeah for Micah Hyde? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm excited about that. But this scheme needs to evolve. It needs to take the next step and you need athletes to do it. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. And, and, Again, to your point, I like Levi Wallace and he he has done some things where he's approved. He's shown he his aggressiveness has has um picked up and and he's done some things that that made me say, "Okay, I apologize for saying what I said." However, I still think that um after looking at what the Buffalo Bills were able to put on the field for the AFC Championship game, and then you look at what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense was able to to do during the Super Bowl, you see the areas that we feel like we need to improve. And cornerback two is one of those areas. And so let me ask you this. There's been there's been links um, to Richard Sherman. There's obviously been some talk to Josh Norman saying that he wants to come back. Um, 
is this a draft position for you? Is this somebody or are you looking at the Richard Shermans of the world or somebody else through free agency? I know that the cap is still limited. We, we we're on our second position and we're already, um, you know, talking about big names that we're supposedly linked to. I'm not I'm not on the team of, of Richard Sherman, uh, but I, I would love to hear your thoughts and I'll tell you why I'm not on that side. I am not on the Richard Sherman or Josh Norman train because it doesn't give you the ability to expand. Like I just said, yes, Richard Sherman is a really good cover three Nichols style cover corner. He's really good at doing that thing, but you just got a really, really, really good version of Levi Wallace. He didn't actually expand your ability to run more schemes. If anything, the acquisition of Richard Sherman crystallizes your defense on that scheme. So now you're not going to run more man coverage. You might run less with Richard Sherman. And if you get him, so there are some free agent acquisitions. I like, I love Brian pool. Let's just start with that. I love Brian pool. I know he's a nickel. I understand. We're not really necessarily talking about nickel. I love Brian pool. So sign me up all day long for Brian pool. I understand that that we have a nickel corner who ran two pick sixes back late in the year. And we all love him now all of a sudden, but Brian pool is a fantastic nickel. Sign me up for him. Absolutely. As far as CB two goes, William Jackson from Cincinnati, is someone I'm a big fan of. So, and you know me, I love me some corners, but yeah, he's someone who comes in with an average annual salary evaluation from spot track at $6.3 million, which is completely reasonable. That's Josh Norman money. Yeah. So sign me up for that all day long. So that's two free agents that I really like. However, I'll level with you. Corner is one of those positions that where you can come in as a late first round corner, as a second round corner and have an impact immediately unlike other positions we're going to talk about today. So because of that, I am all about drafting one on day two or even at 30 if there's the right one there. Okay. Yeah, no, perfect. And and really quickly, because I don't want to move on before um, commenting about Teron Johnson. The Bills Mafia has fallen in love with him because of those plays. Mm -hmm. I've always liked him because I feel like he's a hard hitter. I'm I'm from you know obviously I'm I'm 35 this year so like the the timing when I fell in love with football was when the safeties linebackers and cornerbacks were catching guys across the middle of the field and hitting hard and to me that's what Johnson looks like but he's very limited with other things so to your point as far as upgrade I guess we really I could have not just said cornerback too I could have said cornerback room after Trey White. Because I still yeah. think yeah. that that you know we do need to improve the now. Tyron Johnson can still be on the on the roster, and he's he's still somebody who can absolutely rotate in and out and and make good plays for us, as we've seen him do two great ones in the you know the one in the playoffs was awesome. But I need something consistent. I need I, I just need that that room to play a little bit better. Yeah, I'm completely okay with that. I was somebody who was really high on Tyron Johnson after his rookie year. I thought that the flashes that we had seen from him specifically in run defense, I think mm-hmm. were really, really crucial. And given the fact that the bills run nickel as much as they do, we completely sleep on the run defending necessities from that position. And Taron Johnson absolutely has that. He has the ability to come up and play the run as a nickel corner. And in this system, if you cannot come up and play the run aggressively as a nickel corner, you can't really play in this yeah. system. And so he's got that. I just, I'm greedy. <laughs> I want more. Yeah, I want it all. I, I want it all, man. Uh, so so let's move to the third, um, which is probably going to be what mostly everyone else will feel is the most important um, position, at least from what I've seen. People think that edge rusher, defensive line, um, is the most important position for the, or a position of need for the team. I am very happy um, that Star Latulale will be back on the defensive line. I do not think he's the answer for the run game. So before we talk about what we need <laughs> and how we missed out on J.J. Watt, I do want to talk about the return of, of Starla Tulele. We missed him, and it's very evident that we missed him in the run game. However, when you look back at the year prior, I still saw a lot of moments where having Star in the middle, plugging up two defenders and doing everything that we said that we missed this year, teams were still able to run on us. Specifically, um, if you look at the Washington football team, when you had, you know, Adrian Peterson had 100 yards in the first half on us. Um, you look at I can I can actually go down a list that year and we had rushing, you know, defensive rushing issues. 
What do you what do you think about Star coming back? Do you think that he is going to help us fix those issues with the run? And and how do you feel that we address that part first? And then we'll get to the missing out on JJ Watt and the defensive end because I think that's where the the need is for me. I don't think Star Latulay coming back is the end all and be all of the defensive line and the run defense being fixed. I do think that it's going to be a bigger impact than potentially we might think because if you think about an entire position like one tech, nobody played one tech up to the level that it should have been played in 2020 for the Buffalo Bills. Nobody, not a single person. You were trying Quentin Jefferson there, which he's never been a one tech, never should be a one tech Ed Oliver's there, which is absolutely not. You have Harrison Phillips who didn't play well there. Vernon Butler was uh, pretty much a free agent bust for the Buffalo Bills, did not play overly effectively. He was a fine player but when you're you know pay eight million dollars for a player you kind of want better than fine and when you have all those people rotating at one tech and you don't have any of them who are overly effective then you're like okay just getting competency from one tech is a significant upgrade so even if you just got competency because starla tule has never been a dynamic one tech he's never been a vita vea he's never been a an upper elite echelon one tech he's been perfectly reasonable But even if I get perfectly reasonable, that's still a step up from the level of play I got from that position in 2020 for the Buffalo Bills. Now, I do think that one of the things I was hopeful about with the Bills run defense was I was hopeful that when Jordan Phillips left and Ed Oliver was the starting three tech next to Starla Tule, that would help a lot. And then Starla Tule opted out. So when I look back at 2019 and I see games like you're referencing with the Eagles game and the and the Washington football team at the time they were the Redskins game, when I watch these things, I think, goodness gracious, you know, if Ed Oliver was starting at three tech instead of Jordan Phillips, I think it would have been better. And then I finally get to see that and then Starla Tule opts out. I'm like, goodness gracious, can I catch, can I catch a break here on the defensive tackle room? Like, can I just get the people I intended to play at the spots I intended to play them? Is that that hard? And Harrison Phillips was, of course, not super effective. I think he came on a little bit at the end of the year, but he's still coming back from another major knee injury. And at this point, we might just know who Harrison Phillips is. He's a rotational level, you know, replacement level one tech in the NFL, and that's completely fine. Obviously, you'd like a little bit more from a third-round pick, but if that's all he ends up being, that's completely fine. But he's not going to give you competent, solid, starting one tech play. Not like stellar elite play, just starting level one tech play and just getting that from Starla Tule is enough to help me a little bit feel better. I'll tell you what you said, you know, like you finally get to see it and then he opts out and imagine how Sean McDermott feels. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Sean is like, dude, like I, I, I finally have the defensive line. I feel like I want, and then COVID happens. It's insane. It's insane. But, but so staying on the defensive line, obviously the Buffalo bills missed out on the J.J. Watt saga that everybody was attentively glued to their phones and iPads and tablets and everything else that they have. Everybody was was paying attention to see where he went, and we missed out, which is perfectly fine by me. My question to you is, so what the heck are the Buffalo Bills going to do at defensive end? Because even even though the Kansas City Chiefs did not win the Super Bowl, we have to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. There, that is the goal at this point. We did not get pressure on that quarterback. We, we absolutely, to me, that was it was an embarrassment of an effort um, when it comes to the actual pressure that we were able to put on Patrick Mahomes. So, what the heck are we going to do there? I really don't know what we're going to do there. <laughs> I think having, <laughs> I think, I think having the most expensive defensive line in the league. I really think mattered to the Buffalo Bills when they didn't get production. When they didn't get production, it's like, goodness gracious, where do we go from here? And there isn't an obvious answer because if you sign a free agent, then you're like, okay, we're going to double down on what was the most expensive line in the league. Like we're going to, we're going to go harder. (laughs) It's like when you're, when you're trying something out and you're like, okay, you know, this isn't good, but it's spectacularly not good. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to put my nose down. Just keep add going. one more piece. I'm just going to add one just keep add one more piece, man. Just keep throwing money at this problem and see if it fixes it. But no, I get it, you know, because you're thinking to yourself, okay, you know, when you're drafting at 30th, you're not going to get highly likely impact day one pass rushers. 
That's not where they come from. They come from the free agent market if they hit there, which is rare, and they come from the top five in the draft. I mean, if you look at the people who are the top pass rushers in the league right now, the vast majority of them are high first round picks because yep. that's how valuable they are. So when you try to scour the free agent market, sometimes you get hits, you get Mario Williams, and then other times you get Trent Murphy and things like that happen. So for me, there are two names that stick out for me in the free agent market. The first one's Romeo Aquara and the second one's Carl Lawson. These are people who I think are starting to show the things that make them potentially starting defensive ends in the league. I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of the guy from New Orleans. I think that if you look at his pressure to sack ratio and you kind of watch the films on him, I, I think that he's someone who's very much in the high effort, actually a five to six sack a, a year guy, but just happened to blow up this year and might get paid like he is. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it comes down to Okwara and it comes down to Carl Lawson. And I'm a Carl Lawson guy. I, you've said I wrote a piece for Buffalo yeah. Rumblings that I'm a Carl Lawson guy. I understand that now that's, J.J. Watts over, people are starting to kind of come over to the Carl Lawson side, and I'm sitting here with my arms out like, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Thank you for coming to see me. Here, would you like some? Uh, we have punch, we have cookies, and we're going to keep <laughs> Carl Lawson highlights on uh, repeat over in the main lobby. So if you just want to go over there and get your snacks, we'll be starting a next showing here in a few minutes. But for me, I really took that metaphor out to its logical conclusion, didn't I? You did. You did. <laughs> but, you know, those are the players who I think have a chance to overachieve their contracts. And that's what free agency is about. It's about finding value. How can you find someone who is going to overachieve their contract? And, you know, I, I mentioned the spot track projections from some of these people. $8.8 million is Carl Lawson. Sign me up. It's Again, it's Trent Murphy money. Absolutely sign me up. I think he's going to get more than that. I think that's low. Now, I trust them. I think they're good at projecting this stuff, but that seems really low. If you told me right now I can get Trent Murphy for four years, 36 mil, sign me up like yesterday, like literally yesterday. I, I, I will drive to his house. We will make it work. You know, you, you mean you mean Carl, right? Yeah, Carl Lawson. What you did I say? Trent. No, you said oh. Trent. I'm like, wait, oh. please don't tell me you want to sign. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> if I can get Carl Lawson for Trent Murphy money, holy crap. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you no, I'm with I, you. I, when you, it, so with the article that you were referencing, it made me go back and actually watch some actual footage on him as opposed to just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to take Bruce's word for it because he's a genius. Dude, Carl, Carl, you see the flashes. Mm -hmm. You see everything that. It's like, okay, maybe this kid could come in here and if he gets the full opportunity with the right type of coaching behind him and the right type of fit, maybe this guy can be our, you know, he's our guy. I would love that. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, I'd be a fan. And this is the kind of player where if you look at the ways by which he wins, okay, and he can win against the outside hip of tackle. He can win with power, which I know, I know, I know, I know that Sean McDermott loves people who have the ability to compress the pocket. If you look at some of the people who had success in his system, Charles Johnson, you have Greg Hardy, people who had success at the system that Sean McDermott runs. A lot of them have the ability to play with power. 
in Carolina. And Carl Lawson can do that. And we just drafted someone who has the arm length to do things like that. And that's AJ Epinesa. And now that he dropped a couple pounds, he can attack the outside hip of the offensive tackle as well. And we saw some really, really good hand usage from AJ Epinesa in the the back half of the last year. You saw some, some chop rip moves. You saw long arms, you saw power bull rushes. You saw things from AJ Epinesa that make you think, okay, there's some flashes here. If he gets an entire offseason and NFL offseason conditioning and weight training program and he ends up leaning out that frame that has now slimmed down a little bit and now he kind of bulks up a little bit. and He kind of tones it out. You think to yourself, OK, you have a new body comp now for AJ Epinesa. And when you have players who completely recalibrate their body composition, that's very exciting because now you're talking about a brand new set of comps for someone like AJ Epinesa and you add that to potentially Carl Lawson. Now you have your younger core of pass rushers behind your older core of pass rushers, which is Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. And then all of a sudden you start to feel a lot better about your rushing. It's amazing how just adding one body, if healthy, can change things. And that, of course, is related to what we talked about Star Latule-wise. Just adding one competent body to a rotation really changes things. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I'm I'm hoping that I, I don't again. So I don't know if it's going to be uh, Carl Lawson. I don't know. I don't know what the direction or what direction the team is going to go in. But I do know that that is the one that that room or that part of the defense we have to get, Bruce. We we absolutely have to get Um, it, there's been there's been too many games this year now it's tough for me to say this because we were 13 and 3 we went to the afc championship we won the afc east josh allen was player of the week all of these times and so you know it was so it's a tough year for me to complain but the thing is just because we won 13 games doesn't mean that there weren't opportunities to win 16 and i know that it's rare to go perfect and i i I don't have that expectation every year of my team to win every game but I was very disappointed in the the first two games that we lost. I don't think that we should have lost them. Obviously not the, the, the hail Mary, the things that I saw from those first two losses are the things that we're talking about here. So this is why I'm saying this is why they're very important to me. You got to get to Patrick Mahomes. You have to stop the run. You have to be able to have a cornerback to, so these little things that aren't really little at all, but, you know, it's the things that you might not focus on every single play when you're watching as a as a common fan, which was me a year ago. I'm just starting to really watch film and learn how to to pay attention to things that are important. These things are the things that win championships. We saw what talent does. Talent gets you to the well, talent and coaching and and systems and you know, those things will get you in the playoffs and they'll get you far if you follow your processes. But these little things are the things that wins championships. No, I agree with you. And there's, you know, there's a phrase that people use all the time in the business world. Don't let good be the enemy of great, right? Don't Mm -hmm. let the fact that you were good or you are good at something stop you. And now the good news is we have a coach who literally preaches that all day. This is a coach who made the playoffs and turned it around his first year and continually improves himself. And that's my favorite thing about Sean McDermott. My favorite thing about Sean McDermott, you know, sometimes the coaching cliches get me a little bit, but my favorite thing about Sean McDermott is he's not a hypocrite. He practices the things that he preaches. And so you can really kind of get behind a leader, even if you don't necessarily agree with everything he says. And even if you think sometimes he's a little bad crap crazy, you can get behind somebody Who isn't a hypocrite? Because this is a person who preaches continual improvement, growth mindset, and he does it with himself. This is a coach who got continually more aggressive every year because the analytics told him to. When he went for two earlier in the year and somebody asked him later on in the press conference, hey, why'd you go for two? He said, the numbers told me to. And I was like, this is a guy who put his ego aside and said, listen, there's a better way out here to do this. Do you really think that Sean McDermott coming over from the Carolina Panthers was like an absolutely analytical focused guy? Because I don't think so. I think he grew. He learned that. And when you have that, your team has a tendency to take on that mindset, which is not letting good be the enemy of great. And don't let okay be the enemy of good. And don't let where you are come into conflict with where you want to be. And Brandon Bean flat out said, we're not a Super Bowl team. So if you have a coach who says growth mindset, growth mindset, growth mindset, and you have Brandon Bean saying, we're not a Super Bowl team, that means it's 
one not done as far as playoff wins go. It's two not done. It's three not. It's not done until we get the chip. And so because of that, I'm not really worried about the team thinking that. And I don't feel bad about thinking that as a fan. I can simultaneously say, yes, I'm happy about the way that the Bills performed. And I'm really happy that I don't have to go into this offseason worried about a top five pick and a quarterback. I don't have to worry about quarterback this offseason, which is a very rare circumstance for the Buffalo Bills. But I don't feel bad in saying things like you just said. When you say, hey, these are things we got to get right. You know, these are things that we have to get right if we want to take the next step. I don't feel like we're being overly critical. I don't feel like we're being negative Nancy's or naysayers or whatever word you want to use. We are adopting the same philosophy that the coach and the GM have, which is growth mindset, not a Super Bowl team, and don't let good be the enemy of great. Well, and as a fan, um, you know, I've gotten used to the Buffalo Bills prior to Sean McDermott's tenure beginning with us. I've gotten used to the Buffalo Bills being either a middle of the road, mediocre team or slightly below average. You know, they haven't been upper tier of a team in the league for some time. So I've gotten used to falling in love with players because of their personality. I've gotten used to, you know, falling in love with people's effort and saying, okay, no, that's my guy. I love that guy. Now you're going to get effort because all of the guys are talented and all of the guys want that next thing and they want the championship. So you're going to get the effort. You're going to get the guys that, that want to be in Buffalo. We're going to fall in love with these guys. But the thing is, regardless of how much you love them, regardless of what the effort is, sometimes you still just need better. And it's n- it's not a negative, uh, you know, you can still, I love every single guy on that roster, Bruce. I promise you I do. I just want to improve, man. I want that championship. I, and I feel like we're so close. And if we let this window pass us by without being honest with ourselves, like you mentioned that Brandon Bean said, we're not a championship team yet. We need to be. Last step to it, man. And I'll let you go. I know, ladies and gentlemen, Bruce told me prior to going live here what his schedule is like. And I feel bad that I just took 45 minutes of his time. So I'm going to end this up with with the last part of this that I feel is a need of um, area of need for the team. What about the tight end room? I, I know I believe you are of the you're on the side of that. Knox is still someone that we can we can absolutely work with. Yeah, I do think that Knox is someone we should absolutely work with. Now, you're going to have to add bodies anyway, because you have Lee Smith who might retire. And even if he does, even if he doesn't retire, you might want to move on. And then you have Tyler Croft, Croft who left, and you have Tommy Sweeney, who you don't know if is going to play football again. So you have to add bodies. So if you have to add bodies, you might as well add good ones. So I'm not saying don't add any talent to the tight end room. It's a matter of the relative investment. And for me, spending a large contract in free agency, like a big, like a Janu Smith contract in free agency, who originally this offseason, I kind of thought he was going to be like an under the radar guy. But then as it moves forward and you wonder about maybe Hunter Henry potentially getting franchised again, you start to worry, okay, is Janu Smith actually the best tight end of the market? And who the player who I thought was a sleeper is actually going to be the most coveted player at that position. Now, all of a sudden, I might not want him as much anymore. And here's the reason why. If you want to spend significant money in the free agent market on a tight end. That means either a, you would like that person to replace Dawson Knox as tight end one, which I'm not on board with. The reason is quite frankly, we understand intrinsically that Josh Allen was a crazy raw quarterback coming out. We were willing to give him time, but we're not willing to extend that same thing to Dawson Knox, mm. Dawson Knox, who's a converted quarterback who got like seven targets at Ole Miss. Like, so, so we use the passes that Josh Allen threw in college to indicate how far behind he was as a rep count as a quarterback. Now, tight end is already a slow acclimating position to the NFL. And now you want to take that and continue to bury Dawson Knox with it. I'm not saying Dawson Knox is a great player. I'm saying the sample size you need to classify him as a bust is greater than some other positions because of his situation. Every player is different, and the tight end is already a slow developing position. So the first thing is, if you want to spend significant assets as far as money in the free agent market, you want to replace tight end one with this guy and put Dawson Knox out, which I'm not in favor of. Or you say, no, Bruce, I don't want to do that. Not interested in doing that. I just want to run a lot more 12 personnel because 
quite frankly, you would have to run a lot more 12 personnel to justify the investment of spending eight, 10, 11 million dollars a year on a tight end that is a number one free agent target and still have Dawson Knox. So those are the only two options. Either you want to replace Dawson Knox or you want to run a lot more 12. And if you want to run a lot more 12, you are now moving away from the thing that was just wildly successful last year. So I'm not in favor of either of those things. So if you take out significant free agent acquisition, which I just did, I took out significant free agent acquisition off of the list. We're going methodically through the flow chart here to decide what Bruce thinks. So the first one was, do I want to invest significant resources? I said no for all those reasons I already mentioned. Now, the next one is, do I want to invest significant draft capital? Okay, well, I just said that I just said that tight end is a slow developing position to the league. So if I draft a first round tight end, if I draft Pat Fryer move at 30, the chances of a tight end coming in a 30th overall pick and being a stud right out the gate is rare. I mean, TJ Hawkinson, who was considered to be one of the most ready tight ends coming out in years, managed to kind of break out year two. So for the 30th overall pick, like Pat Fryermuth or something like that, then, okay, you're kind of run into the same issue for year number one. Do you want to bench Dawson Knox? Are you hedging against him? If you're hedging against him, why are you spending a first round pick on someone who you're not going to roll out until year two? So then you're kind of like, okay, well, what, what do I do there? So for me, it's always been about lower free agent signing from a tier one standpoint, you know, getting someone like Dan Arnold from the Arizona Cardinals, who I think can be had for, you know, $4 million, you know, someone like that as to come in and kind of provide you with that. Okay. If Dawson Knox doesn't take the next step and you're a couple games into the season, you're halfway through the season, you're three quarters of the way through the season and he still hasn't done it. You want somebody who's got veteran presence for a playoff run. Okay. You've got somebody. If Dawson Knox gets hurt, if you want to run 12 and have a more significant receiving threat than Lee freaking Smith, which let's be honest, there's some offensive linemen on this team that are a more significant re- re- receiving threat. I mean, yeah. Deion Dawkins is a more significant re- receiving threat far, than, Lee, than Lee Smith. <laughs> so there are players out there that allow you to accomplish your goal of pushing up the talent level at that position without you necessarily having to invest the resources that become redundancies. And so for me, lower level free agent signing, plus someone like Tommy Tremble on day three, I'm a huge Tommy Tremble guy. You think to yourself, well, Bruce, you just said don't draft someone. No, 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 no. What I said is don't draft someone and expect them to come in and make an impact year one. If you have someone who's a really good blocker right now, which is what Tommy Tremble is, then you can bring him in as tight end three. He can have your Lee Smith role with still offering you some athletic upside for year two and year three. So you've covered your now with Dawson Knox. You've covered your now as far as contingency with someone like Dan Arnold. And you've covered your future with a draft pick and with the potential of Dawson Knox developing. So I think that's probably the way I would go about attacking it. The issue with tight end is that tight end is never going to be a significant need for me. And I understand it sounds weird, but I'm never going to look at tight end as being like the number one need on a team. And the reason that is, is because the things that make tight ends special, the things that make them so valuable don't occur in a lot of players. They're just uncommon humans. And because of that supply and demand, you've got Kelsey, you've got Kittle, you've got Waller. You have these players who are unique human beings. They just don't make a lot of them. It's a little bit like teams saying, hey, you know what? We need to go find the next Josh Allen. (laughs) Good luck with that. Yep. Good luck. Let, let me know how that works. Josh Allen is a unique human. Don't try and go find yourself the next Josh Allen. It's not going to work. He's a weird human being. They just don't make a lot of those people. And so I don't think you should go out searching every season for weird human beings because they just don't exist. And in that vacuum, knowing that there's not a lot of those humans left, the NFL has designed systems that can function without them. The Bills offense got very little production from tight ends last year and was the most successful offense in the history of the franchise. I'm not saying that having a good one wouldn't escalate the team to a next level. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you don't go looking for unicorns. You don't say, you know what we really need. We just really need a unicorn. You just understand that if they're there, great, let's go grab a unicorn. But you don't go out to to the grocery store and go shopping for a unicorn. They just don't make them. They don't grow off of trees, bro. Right. Because there's scarcity <laughs> you know, accommodations now. There's scarcity accommodations. 
Logan Thomas is the one that got away from me, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. And I don't know if he would have developed into what he developed into if he was here. It's the same thing with Wyatt Teller. You know, people forget that Wyatt Teller left. We traded him away. And Bill Callahan's one of the greatest offensive line coaches in NFL history for the Browns. And they have a lot of good offensive linemen around him. I don't know if Wyatt Teller would have become Wyatt Teller if he would have stayed here. And I don't know if Logan Thomas would have become Logan Thomas if he stayed here. But they're unique human beings. And you just, you just, the NFL has scarcity accommodations. They've designed a way where you don't need to have a stellar tight end because, quite frankly, not everyone can have a stellar tight end. Yep. Yep. Nope. I agree 100%. Um, I, well, before I do end this part about the tight end, though, because um, I got to rewind back a while now, though, I, I left myself a note. Um, you mentioned like a mid-level guy or, or somebody who isn't necessarily that, that top-tier contract-wise. Mm-hmm. What do you think about um cook from the saints and i know that he's you're fine with okay he's he's my he's my tight end crush this offseason i have no problem with that because the the role that you're asking him to fill you're not asking him to be the answer you know jared cook is 34 years old he's not anybody's answer long term at the position but if you want to add someone who can be your tight end too and can give you a better athletic presence then i'm fine with it The reason why I was a little bit hesitant about it is because I thought he might get reasonable contract that I didn't want to pay on the free agent market. But now that it looks like Johnny Smith might be the apple of everyone's eye, there's a chance you can get you can get someone like Jared Cook for a lower free agent salary. And I'm I'm completely cool with that. I'm completely fine with Jared Cook as tight end too. I think that he's an upgrade from Tyler Croft for sure. And I think he allows you to do the thing that Brandon Bean talked about, which was have a tight end where people are like, man, we at least have to worry about the tight ends. If if you go into 12 and you have the ability to go from in tight to out wide and have Dawson Knox and Jared Cook, both who can run routes, who can be athletes down the field. When you have that, you at least have to worry about it. You have to constitute some semblance of effort to stopping it, unlike rolling out 12 with Lee Smith. Well, that's my crush this year. Uh, so hopefully the Bills can uh, hear me and 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 give me a present and get signed Cook. Man, I think I think he would add a dynamic um, to the tight end room that we haven't like we thought we were going to get with Charles Clay, but we didn't quite get. So I'm really really hoping um, that the passing game with these guys, if we're able to get him and, and Knox to take a step forward. Um, and I agree about your point as far as we don't allow these guys to really develop. That's the reason why Joe owns a Corey Bajorquez jersey, just in general, <laughs> because <laughs> he was ready to cut Corey. He didn't want Corey. He's like, man, these guys horrible. He shanks the ball 15 yards down. the. F- and I'm like, Joe, you got it. First, he was a rookie when we signed him from the Patriots. He also had a, a, a very serious injury. You know, you don't know how those things happen. And then you got to let the guy develop, blah, blah, blah. Now you look at it. Granted, he didn't punt more than 50 times last year, but he was a top <laughs> punter. You know, so you yeah. got to, you, you know, you have to allow these guys to develop and, and to come into who they're going to be. Bruce, I want to thank you so much for taking an hour out of your time and joining me and the listeners of the Code of Conduct. Man, this is always a treat for me. Um, if you want to take a quick moment and let everybody know where they can find you. And this week, or actually now next week, we're going to be launching the or relaunching the YouTube network. So if you want to kind of talk about what you're going to be doing there, and like I said, your other content and uh, where everybody can find you. First off, thanks so much for having me, Spence. I really appreciate it. This is, uh, I'm a huge fan and I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, thrilled to death when you messaged me and was like, Hey man, you want to come on the code of conduct? I was like, hell yeah. I want to come on the code of conduct. So, so thanks so much for having me. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. Uh, I host the Bruce exclusive, which is a, a podcast on the Buffalo rumblings network. You can find it on Thursdays and Fridays. We've been doing some live shows on the locker room network and you never know, you know, I might pop into the, uh, the YouTube channel. So make sure if you're listening to this, that you go to YouTube and you subscribe to the Buffalo rumblings because Jay Spence, Joe Miller, they're going to be doing a lot of content on the Buffalo rumblings, YouTube channel. And quite frankly, that's, that's their forte. That's what they're good at. The reason why you don't see my face is not because I have a face for radio. That is part of it for sure. (laughs) But it's also because that's not where my talents lie. However, we do have some people where their talents do lie in that particular area. You know, they're handsome, they're charismatic, you know, they got all these things going on and they're knowledgeable. They're good at interacting with fans. You know, I've been doing my live show and someone asked me, how's your live show going, Bruce? And I'm like, um, (laughs) 
it's, they're difficult. They're it's difficult not to really do. my thing. My level of respect for people who do live shows could not possibly be higher than it is right now. A couple <laughs> weeks into doing my own okay. kind of off-season live show, it, it could not possibly be higher. Just give them the entire bag, just the whole bag, right? You know. I said the same about monologues because I never I always, I started off doing interviews. So like I never had to do a full show by myself. Dude, I've done like two. You, Pat, there's a few of you that just you got it, man. And you guys are when I tell you, it, the, you say you're a fan of me. I am a fan of the Bruce exclusive. Well, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you having me. And this has been a blast. Thanks so much. I feel like I was. I took a nap earlier today because I was so tired from everything going on and I got up and I was wound for sound and I'm like, I'm going to screw up a bunch of names on this podcast, but man, my energy level is going to be great. Hey, you knocked it out the park as usual, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Hey, everybody, this is the code of conduct and you know how I do it over here. Love each other, take care of each other and live in peace. And as always stay positive and test negative. Go Bills. Conduct.